None of this would have happened without the wonderful Lucy Hasson, who herself uh, is a former nurse, and you've heard some of her story. Um, Lucy is retired from nursing, but not from actions. She previously founded a fully accredited in-home nursing company, which grew from a one-person operation to a staff of over 50 nursing and disability support workers and included a respite centre and administration centre caring for over 200 patients. As of 2013, Lucy has spearheaded the movement to reintroduce medicinal cannabis into Australia. Lucy witnessed the dramatic relief her son Dan, suffering stage four bowel cancer, gained from using medicinal cannabis. And Dan himself championed the cause alongside his mother. Together, they started a social campaign which ultimately changed the Australian laws. Lucy said that she used to feel proud of that achievement, but now feels that Australian legislators have produced a system set up to fail patients like Dan. On Dan's deathbed, she promised to make access to cannabis better for Australians. She's the advisory board member for the New South Wales Government of Medicinal Cannabis Centre for Research and Innovation and of the ACT Medical Council Advisory Board. She's a committee member of the New South Wales Compassionate Access Scheme. She's the founder of the Australian Medical Cannabis Alliance, which is a group of like-minded medicinal cannabis supporters determined to improve patient access. She was nominated for Australian of the Year Award 2016 and achieved state finalist level. So if you're putting your nominations in for 2019 or 2018, I suggest that you might want to put her up again. She was named in the Top 100 Women of Influence Awards 2016, and she's a director of the Oz Medican Group, which this is an unpaid position that came about because of the social conscience of OMG, Oz Medican Group, who are proud to support the work of United and Compassion as they advocate for patient rights. So please, I'd ask you to welcome Lucy. Well, thanks so much, Frida. Um, thank you very, very much to the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association for putting on this uh, event today. This is the fourth um, that we've had around New South Wales, and um, I think this is the best attendance. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, so I would just like to say thank you. I don't think you realise yet how important your role is going to be, but, you know, hopefully by the end of the day you'll get a sense of that. And I guess I've got to start by saying that everything about medical cannabis is complicated. Um, there's just no way to tell this in a, in a, in a quick five-minute rundown, and that's part of the problem when you're trying to convince legislators um, that perhaps the way they're choosing to legislate is not the best way. So we, we're very challenged by medical cannabis, but I've got to say this is just something that is so important um, to your patients and being an ex-nurse, I think that nurses absolutely get um, the hardship and the, the rock and a hard place feeling of their patients. And so I just want to encourage you to get involved and I hope you really enjoy the day. My aim is just really to share my story, which again is complicated um, and, you know, I'll try and get it into an hour and I'll try not to go off track too, too much. But there's just so many tentacles to cannabis. Um, 
there's the political issues, the social issues, the, the pharmaceutical issues, um, the botany, the science, you know, science that we don't even know about, um, even as health professionals. So anyway, I hope you enjoy um, the day. And um, I'm a little bit emotional today. I always get emotional when I see that video. I should actually stop watching it before I, before I have to speak. But anyway, we'll see how we go. Um, let's make a start. Okay, so I forgot I'd given, <laughs> forgot I'd given um, Rita all that information. So you basically know who I am and you know why I'm here. Okay, so my hope for today is that you get several things. Um, that you get an understanding of the uses of cannabis. Uh, that you start to understand about the endocannabinoid system, which so many health professionals, including doctors, don't know about yet. And we've got Justin here who's going to walk you through that um, in true professional style. Um, people say, you know, oh, cannabis, you know, people say they use it for everything. It must be, you know, what a load of rubbish, you know. How can something be used for so many things? Well, hopefully by the end of today you'll understand um, that, that there's more to that than just people wanting to make use of cannabis because they want to get high. Um, I don't think I have to teach you about empathy for your patients, but I want you to understand how patients are really in a bad place um, with regard to medical cannabis. Um, and empathy from the nurse is going to go a long way to helping people to come out and um, to want to talk about this, to, um, you know, that they're still feeling very vulnerable, they're criminals for using this um, from the black market, as the vast majority of the patients are doing. Um, you can do a lot just by being prepared to listen. Um, so many patients are telling me that when they go to the doctor to broach this subject, um, they get shown the door. We don't do this, we don't do this here. Um, we won't do this at this practice. Um, you'll have to go and Google that or, you know, I, I'm not going to have this conversation with you. And so it's great to see that there are some nurses here from general practice. Um, we really want to support um, the general practitioner and we want to draw the general practitioner into this. We see the general practitioner as the important person in this picture. Um, I want to give you a desire to learn more and understand why we think like we do. Why have we all got these um, biases towards cannabis? And once you understand the history, you get a long way along that journey to understanding why we think, why we, why we think like we do and why we perhaps need to rethink why we think like we do. Um, I want you to get angry. Um, and I certainly, apart from getting very emotional watching that video, which was made in 2014, 2015, so there are some aspects that have changed, but there are a lot of things that haven't changed and um, that's part of the problem. I get media contact me all the time saying, oh, you know, I want to do a story on medical cannabis. Can you, um, can you, you know, put me onto a patient? And I might recommend a patient and some of them I'll certainly talk about today and we're in the video. And they'll say, oh, no, no, we want someone new. We know that story. And I go, yeah, but that's the thing. That story has been public for three years. That person is still in that position. That is the story. Why hasn't that person's needs been addressed? Um, so I want you to get angry. And that's where I am. I'm, I'm emotional and I'm angry. I'm frustrated and I'm angry. I'm a lot of things, but most of all, I'm angry. Um, and I'm really encouraging you as nurses and as members of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association 
to encourage your union to get angry with you because you are a powerful group and we want to harness that. Um, and I guess that comes into the last thing there, just a willingness to stand up for your patients. They are desperate for some help from somewhere. It's not coming from the doctors, so perhaps we can lead from behind um, as we are so used to doing. So just in telling you our story, um, for those of you who saw the video, you'll know a lot of this, but um, I'll just go through these quickly. Um, so January 2019, uh, 2010, we were just a very ordinary family. I have three sons. Um, Dan was my youngest, he was 20. Billy was 21, Luke was 22. And Dan was at uni. He was just about to go back to his second year of uni. Um, quite out of the blue, he was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. At the time of Dan's diagnosis, um, which was literally just because he had some rectal bleeding and he'd told me about the rectal bleeding a few months before and I guess there's a message here for you as parents and as um, nurses as well. When your 20 year old tells you he's got rectal bleeding, my first instinct a few months ago er, earlier was to say, oh Dan, don't be stupid, you wouldn't have bowel cancer, you've probably just got a hemorrhoid. It'll be fine, just keep an eye on it. A few months later he still had rectal bleeding and um, the result was a very large adenocarcinoma and over 40 lesions in his liver at the time of diagnosis. So biggest mistake I've ever made as a nurse and as a mother was to not have alarm bells ringing. And just on the side of that, I've met so many young people with bowel cancer who are now no longer with us. So don't think that because you're young, you don't get bowel cancer because you do. <coughs> so anyway, from 20. 10 to 2013, our life revolved around hospitals, as you can imagine. Dan had lots of major, major surgeries to his bowel and his liver. Uh, he had continuous chemotherapy. Uh, he had radiation. We sent him to Germany for oncothermia. Uh, and he was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. By 2014, things were really bad. <coughs> he had anticipatory nausea, so just the thought of chemotherapy would make him vomit. He would vomit on the way to chemo, he'd vomit through chemo, he'd vomit all the way home. Um, invariably, we'd end up in an accident and emergency by midnight because he'd be so dehydrated and they'd have to put him on fluids. And then eventually, the only way that we could manage Dan's um, nausea was to take him straight from hospital, from chemo, straight to the private hospital, put him on a drip. And he'd lie in the dark on his drip for a couple of days. He wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink, he wouldn't speak, he wouldn't move, he would just literally lie there. And that was the only way we could get through it. And it was completely soul destroying watching him. Um, he had a really good friend who had also had bowel cancer. He was a local businessman. Um, he was the owner of the local gym, very well known. Um, he was a, a, um, a black American man, um, very high profile in Tamworth and he suggested to Dan that he tried some cannabis. He said, I've got some left over, which I had when I um, had my treatment. And Dan said, no, no way. Mum and Dad will never, ever come at that. Um, and luck luckily for me, um, DJ phoned me and told me that Dan had refused. And I said, look, bring it round. I'm going to encourage him to try. And we did. And it was completely miraculous. And. Um, I have to, I, I cannot overstate that. Like Dan went from the colour of the tablecloths, vomit bag in hand, retching away, had a couple of puffs and colour back in his face and I'm hungry. 
you know, I want something to eat. I mean, that, this was a kid that would lose five kilos every time he had chemo, which was every three weeks. So it was amazing. He didn't like to smoke. Um, he explained on the video how he set his moustache alight um, for Movember. Um, so we got him a vaporiser and that was much more palatable for Dan and he used his vaporiser. Okay, so from that day on he didn't vomit again, um, which meant he didn't have to go to hospital for three days every cycle, which was, you know, think about the cost savings around that. He had a better appetite. Um, he was able to stay at home with his wife. Um, he was able to put weight on or keep weight on. And, and I remember him saying to me, Mum, it's given me back control. Um, you know, and we had tried every antiemetic that they can, you know, that you can think of. You know, even some of the um, more modern ones like Amend and Oloxy, you know. I remember the oncologist telling us when we first saw him, look, um, medications are much better these days. You, you know, we can manage the symptoms. If he gets nausea or vomiting, there'll be no problem. We can fix that. Well, you know, <laughs> nothing that he tried worked. Um, so it really was last resort for us. And the only thing that I res uh, um, resented was the fact that I hadn't heard about it sooner, or I hadn't tried it sooner. Um, but we certainly, very quickly, um, literally on the first day he tried it, concluded that if this could do this for Dan, it was certainly worth fighting for, for Dan and for other people. So obviously we started to research, and well, I'm not gonna talk a lot about this, but you, you know, some of you might have seen some of these posters from the Reefer Madness era, and if you, if you have a look at them, I mean, how stupid are we, you know? And some people are still hanging on to that kind of rhetoric. I mean, you know, cannabis will make black men rape white women. I mean, how racist is that? And um, how bizarre, you know? You've got pictures there of syringes. I've never known of anybody to inject um, cannabis in my life. I mean, but this is the kind of thing that... Um, has given us our perceptions around medical cannabis and we need to change that. Obviously, um, our elation was kind of short-lived with Dan not vomiting because we sort of realised very quickly, oh, well, <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, he's now a criminal and I'm a criminal because I'm buying it for him on the black market. And that was a really heavy burden which we lived. Um, it wasn't... It wasn't helped by the fact that my husband had been head of the drug squad for most of his 35-year career. And, you know, with that comes a fair bit of risk because people are always looking to get you back. Um, we were limited who we could ask for cannabis because if Lou had thrown them in jail, there's not a good chance that they were going to be happy in helping. Um, but it gave me incredible insight into what so many patients are going through now. Um, if, you're, if you're at the point where you're using cannabis for a medical purpose and you're a law-abiding citizen, you haven't just jumped to that conclusion. It's probably a last resort for you. You're probably, at, you know, you've probably tried lots of other things. You're probably feeling pretty desperate. You've probably got a fairly high level of burden with your disease or illness. So to add to it by making you a criminal, I think that's rather cruel. And I think in our modern society, we should be doing far better than that. So we also learned about children um, and adults with intractable epilepsy and you'll see a picture of Daeshra up there who featured in the film. Um, some of these people have been fairly high profile in Australia. Um, I'm going to show you a video at the end of the little boy on the bottom right um, who's in, a, in an incredible battle in Queensland at the moment to get access. 
Um, the young man on the bottom left, um, very high profile in Tasmania um, as an adult, still uh, with his parents supplying him with cannabis and, and running the gauntlet of the law. Another family up the top, um, the lady with the blonde hair and her little daughter in Tasmania is still very active. Um, the little girl in the wheelchair in the middle has sadly passed away. Um, she died last year aged nine, um, but again in a very burdening battle with Queensland Health, um, trying to get access to medical cannabis. So um, I just wanted to, I, I want to show you this in pictures so you can understand this is about real people. And while these are just a few of them, there are many hundreds, if not thousands. And Carol from Epilepsy Action, I'm sure, will um, allude to that later in the day. Anyway, so unwittingly we started a campaign and I have a very strong social conscience and I just thought, well, if we're going to do this, we might as well do it right. Um, we went to our local media, which was the Northern Daily Leader, and I, I, I challenged people um, to think about their perceptions, but I was lucky the editor was very keen to engage with this and he took a big risk. Because um, this is back in the time when you didn't say cannabis out loud. So he took a big risk in, in agreeing to um, give this some headline. Um, I wrote a letter to Alan Jones to The Breakfast Show, which became central to the Sunday night program, um, which began Helen Kapalos's involvement with us. I um, convinced our local MP, who is, you know, it took a lot of convincing. I've never seen him so quiet, and I still don't think he feels completely comfortable, which is very disappointing. Um, I convinced him to um, lobby on our behalf in New South Wales government. I ended up travelling to um, Canberra and addressed a parliamentary committee down there that then formed an, and that um, tripped off a, um, a Senate inquiry in Canberra. Um, I did lots of media, like all of a sudden, you know, and I was someone who'd never done public speaking, but all of a sudden my phone was ringing, the media were hungry for it, and um, it just, I guess, reflected the, the widespread use in the community. The important thing that did happen fairly early on was that we met Mike Baird. I had a big tantrum um, about meeting Mike Baird. I was told I could have a meeting with the Premier and then told it was just going to be with a staffer and I had a huge tantrum. Um, because I was, there's was no way I was going to bring Dan to Sydney when he was so ill um, to meet some bureaucrat. So it was the best tantrum I've ever had of my, in my life. And we met Mike Baird and he was quite amazing as a politician. Um, he's been completely unique um, and it's possibly the reason why he's no longer the Premier because um, mostly politicians are not um, the people that we would like to think they are. And, um, but what he did do was come to our home a, a few weeks later and say, look, Lucy, you don't, we don't need a private member's bill, uh, a national private member's bill um, for Dan because I'm the Premier and I want to make medical cannabis legal for people like Dan. So that was pretty amazing. Um, that actually led me... Oh, I've just lost my train of thought. Um, in, sorry, in amongst the, um, the media that we're doing, we were doing, um, we met Helen Kapalos. Um, we did Sunday night um, and Helen came with her preconceptions about cannabis and left without them. Um, but during the, the viewing of that show on, on Sunday night, they did an online poll through Channel 7 and in the four hours they got 2.82 million votes uh, with 97% 
voters saying cannabis should be legalised for medical purposes in Australia. So it was, that was kind of a bit of a tipping point and that's when all of a sudden every politician in the country wanted to get involved because they could see how politically popular that was. Health ministers were a completely different story. Um, and while health ministers come and go, and they've come and gone many times since these, these were the ones that were in place at the time, all of them said no to medical use of cannabis, um, except for the Northern Territory, which said no comment, <laughs> which was helpful. Um, one of the things that I'd found when I was researching very early on was that in New South Wales in 2013, we'd had a parliamentary inquiry into medicinal cannabis. And I actually read through every submission to that inquiry and they were so positive. They were from all manner of professions, they were from organisations with lots of interest in medical cannabis. And at the end of that um, inquiry, there was a unanimous recommendation that cannabis be reintroduced. But our health minister, Gillian Skinner there at the time, just said no. There was no explanation, it was just no. Um, we'll revisit this in the future. And if you look back through history, we'd had a similar inquiry in 2003 with the Carr government, and again, it had been recommended then and knocked back. Um, now, I put that photo there of Dan and Gillian Skinner because, as I said, I'm angry. <laughs> and this particular day, um, she had come to Tamworth to open our new cancer centre. We've got a really great cancer centre with all the bells and whistles. and. When Dan and I pulled in, um, we could see that there was something official going on. There was a marquee set up and I rang my local MP and I said, have you got somebody with you today? And he said, yep. And I said, have you got Gillian Skinner there? Yep. And I said, well, Dan's having chemo today. I'd like to meet her. And he said, oh, well, I'll do my best. I will try. Um, anyway, she refused to come to the oncology, uh, to the chemo suite to meet him. Um, she was downstairs. Um, and when Dan was going, although I actually had a copy of Dan's story, which was kind of the basis for his little website called Dan's Story. And I said to our MP, if she won't come and meet him, I've got a copy of Dan's story. Can I give you a hard copy and could you give it to her? And he said, oh, I'm taking her to the airport, so that's no problem. So when Dan finished chemo, um, we went to come down in the elevator and um, we, were show we were told at the bottom of the elevator, well, you have to go out the back way because the official proceedings are going out on in the car park. And Dan said to me, fuck it, Mum. He said, I'm a cancer patient. I'm going out the front door. <laughs> I said, OK, Dan. Excuse the French. I didn't used to swear, by the way, but I swear a lot now. Um, so we go out there and everybody, it's a really hot day and everyone just drops silent, you know. People are having speeches and, you know, it's all very lovely. Um, and Dan just went and sat down and people ushered him to a seat in the shade and he just sat with his eyes closed and he's got his vomit bag and his chemo bag around his neck and at the end of it he went up and he just put his hand out, shook a hand and he said, Miss Skinner, I'm Dan Haslam and I'm a cancer patient and I'd like to talk to you about cannabis. And I thought, oh, this is okay, good on you, Dan. And he had the copy of Dan's story and he put it in her hand and my friend from the Cancer Council was nearby and she said, do you want me to take photos? And I said, yep. So she was clicking away and Dan told Mrs Skinner his story um, about why he used medical cannabis and she said, I know all about you, Daniel. Anyway, he told the story and then she said at the end of him, and at the end of it, you know smoking's going to give you lung cancer, don't you? 
And I went, fuck me. And Dan just said, well, I've already got lung cancer, so I guess it doesn't matter. And we were just stunned. And like uh, at that time, I just thought, you know, what is wrong with us? That we have a health minister that can look a 20-year-old in the face and say that. Like, they just don't get it. And it hasn't got much better. Okay, so by the end of 2014, um, Premier Baird had said to me, Lucy, you don't need a private member's bill. I'd been fundraising madly to try and support this private member's bill through some advertising. So I had, had $50,000 that I'd fundraised and I thought, well, what am I going to do with this money? I need to do something positive. So I decided to... I formed United in Compassion and we held the first medicinal cannabis symposium in Tamworth. And um, the Premier came and um, opened that, which was fantastic. He announced the New South Wales um, clinical trials, which are a whole other story, but, you know, incredibly well-intentioned. Um, I had people from around the world. We met Zach Klein, who came on behalf of Raphael Meshulam, and we were introduced to um, what's going on in Israel. Um, Lester Grinspoon, a Harvard University Emeritus Professor from America. He actually, um, when I read Lester Grinspoon's son's story, his son was also called Daniel, back in the 60s. He had um, leukaemia and was having um, cancer treatment. And his mother got him cannabis and he never vomited again. And so in reading Lester Grinspoon's story about his son, it was exactly my story with my son. So that was quite amazing. Um, and the little girl there is a little girl called Caitlin Lampert and her father came along and told her story and good things came out of that because um, some of the people that I had from Australia were university um, researchers from Sydney University and they got together with the Lambert family and Caitlin's grandfather is a billionaire, or sorry, a millionaire, um, but not promote, he could be a billionaire. Um, and he ended up donating $33.7 million off the back of that meeting to the Sydney University to set up the Lambert Initiative. So as I said, lots of good things started to happen. Clinical trials, the terminal illness cannabis scheme was announced in New South Wales. I fought, fought long and hard to get them to change the name of that. I mean, who wants to be a member of that scheme? Um, the Federal Cross-Party Committee was formed. Uh, that was in um, the federal government, so that was the initiative of Richard Di Natale, but a cross-party committee. The Victorian government um, announced paediatric epilepsy trials. That was after meeting little Cooper Wallace, who you saw in the, in the film. Um, but all the time that this is happening, people were still being arrested. I mean, the fact that um, Cooper's parents, Cassie and Rhett, were arrested. You know, this mother was nine months pregnant and arrested and hauled into the jail, um, you know, this is what is going on. And, and, and when I say nothing much has changed, that's still happening. Um, so that's why we need to do something about it. Obviously, um, the worst day of our lives, we lost Dan on the 24th of February in 2015. And um, I really did promise Dan, um, he made me promise that I would see this through until this was sorted because by this stage it certainly wasn't sorted. It was looking hopeful but it wasn't sorted. 
So Dan didn't leave, live to see the documentary that Helen made. And Helen, incidentally, is from Newcastle. I don't know if many of, any of you know her, um, but she's originally from Newcastle. And after she met Dan when we did the Sunday night program, she said to me, look, Lucy, she said, this is too important. And she literally walked away from a very high-profile career in Melbourne um, in television. And um, she borrowed against her mortgage and we cooked up the idea for the, um, the documentary in my kitchen over a, a couple of days. Um, by this time I was organising the symposium and that seemed like a good place to start the documentary. And literally it was arranged in about three days, the fact that she was going to do this documentary. And we literally had a storyline because as the, the, the title suggests, a life of its own, that was um, exactly how all of this happened. It really did develop a life of its own. Um, Dan never saw the documentary. She did come back from Israel and showed him a lot of the footage on her computer, um, and that was really special. Um, I've put together, I've put in there the photograph of the hummingbird on the cannabis because I wanted to explain to you why that is our um, logo. So on this day that um, Helen was showing Dan the footage from Israel, she said, look, I really want to be able to portray cannabis in a beautiful light instead of that stark leaf um, uh, image that we see so much associated with the hippie movement and, and recreational cannabis. And Dan said, oh, I can help you with that. And he came out with his laptop and showed these photos of hummingbirds on cannabis. And um, they were taken by a, a, a photographer in America called Doobie Duck. So I wrote to Doobie Duck and said, great photos, Doobie, and told him why we wanted to use it. Um, and he said, absolutely, by all means, you can have access to my photograph. And then we started to look into the symbolism of the hummingbird. And the hummingbird is actually a symbol of the truth so, and all things that are good and pure. So it just made sense that um, the hummingbird became our image and um, that Dan chose those photos. Uh, I've also put a photo in the middle there of myself, really bad photo of me, but you know, um, that doesn't matter because the people I'm standing next to are pretty awesome. Um, so with Prof Professor Raphael Mashulam and um, Mike Baird. So I did have the privilege in 2016, I think it was, it's all a blur to me now, but um, Mike Baird said to me, Lucy, you keep going on and on and on about Israel and what they're doing over there. So I'm going to go to Israel and see what it's all about. And I said, that's fantastic. I said, can I come? He said, sure. So that was pretty special. Um, I went to Israel with the Premier and met Raphael Mishulam, which was amazing. So, um, and you know, that actually really was such a valuable thing to do um, from a political sense because um, Mike Baird absolutely got it after that. Okay, so on the first anniversary of Dan's death, um, this is where the politics comes into play. As I said, there was a cross-party bill called the Regulator of Medicinal Cannabis Bill, looking really strong, very positive, very widely supported. Um, but politics is politics, and politics is a really dirty game. And the, the government at the time did not want that bill to get up because it wasn't their bill. It was a cross-party bill. So um, on the last sitting week of Parliament, the then Health Minister, so they come and go like the wind, Susan Lee um, announced their own um, cannabis bill. And that's when things started to go wrong. 
So as Rita said, I used to feel proud of the change that we'd achieved, but Australia has managed to produce some of the worst legislation possible. And you know, again, coming back to patients, um, Daisha's still a criminal. Uh, little Abby Dell there with her mum uh, with the city KL5. That whole family of six children now live in Canada. They are, can they are cannabis refugees um, because, and, and Abby had visits from politicians who promised to fix things for her, yet that whole family now lives in Canada. Um, the young man in the middle who you saw briefly with his mother talking about her son, Lindsay, at 16, he was 16 at the time of that video. Lindsay's now a young adult in Queensland who has to travel to America to get his treatment. How can a family sustain that? He's been several times now. Um, they can't sustain it, they can't afford it, but that's what they have to do. Um, the man on the bottom left with the gaping hole in his neck. Um, that's an incredible story, which um, you have to come to our next symposium to see the, the documentary Hires Mike to learn about that. But that man is now cancer free um, because of medical cannabis. So where did we go wrong? Uh, medical cannabis became political cannabis and it was completely all to do with pot politics. Um, the regula regulator of me medical cannabis bill um, got kicked by the government and instead they decided to put cannabis through the narcotics um, drugs amendment bill um, in the same way that they regulate other pharmaceutical drugs through the, through the TGA. So like putting a square peg in a round hole, they'd looked all around the world how every other country did it and decided to do something different. Every other country decided that cannabis needed to be standalone. It was too different to other pharmaceuticals. It needed an independent regulator. Every other country did that. So Australia said, nah, we're Australia. We're arrogant assholes. We're gonna do it our way. And that's what happened. So all of a sudden the conversation changed from being about compassion for people like Dan to being about evidence and regulation. And the result really was people like Suli Peak died um, under terrible circumstances with a family who've got no closure. Um, you know, terminally ill patients are still criminals. And we have had to fight for every improvement. So we got to the point where um, in the application process, you, you would have to apply to the state government and to the federal government. And we got to the point in New South Wales where people were getting approved federally, but getting knocked back by the New South Wales Ethics Committee. And that's where the lawyers got involved. So I'm very lucky that there's a few lawyers around who approached me and said, Lucy, we want to help. So now um, they represent patients pro bono. And through individual cases, we literally shamed the New South Wales government into pulling out their... Um, their influence, which was really about barricades. So I'm not going to go all through this, but this is um, a, a government document which steps out, sets out the process. And I'll just give you an idea as nurses, some of the hurdles. So patients have to find a willing doctor. That's problem number one, because there aren't too many of them and they're not allowed to advertise if they are. Um, it, it involves hours of paperwork. Doctors are already burdened and they're not really going to want to add to that burden. Also the fact that most of the, um, the, the application process is not something that can be done by GPs generally. It's, it's something that they've decided needs to be a specialist um, and, or needs to be done by a GP with specialist support. 
So you can imagine the hours of work and the expense in that. Um, it's just, you know, layer after layer of bureaucracy. Every state is different. There's no recognitions of, of patients that live remotely. So if you were a patient in the back of beyond, you would still have to travel to Sydney, Melbourne, wherever to see a specialist to get an application done. Um, and I, and if, that if that application was successful and you got a product and it didn't quite work and you needed to tweak it, you don't just get another product, you do another application. Um, there's very few authorised prescribers um, and they're mostly associated with the clinical trials. Um, the doctor has to provide evidence. So our doctors don't even know, they wouldn't know an endocannabinoid system if it bit them on the backside. So most of them haven't done any research. Um, like Dr Caldicott said, the evidence is there but you have to dig for it. So how many doctors are willing to do that? Um, and one thing that I must mention here is that our government, um, we have this system already in place, by the way. So this was a kind of easy thing for the government to just slip cannabis into the special access scheme. But there was a special category called Category A of the special access scheme, which, if you know anything about it, is set up for people with terminal illness. And it's literally um, a notification. So there's no application. But if a, patient, if a patient and their doctor decide that there's a product somewhere in the world and we're not just talking about cannabis here, somewhere in the world there's a product that's being used for that purpose and that patient could potentially benefit from that product, then the doctor can do a category A application recognising that this person's terminal, they don't have the luxury of time to do a lengthy application and that product can be imported into the country specifically for that patient. Well, our government took that out, took cannabis out of category A um, you know, that was the, probably the sneakiest, most dis despised thing that they have ever done, uh, in my mind. Um, they took it out. Didn't, no bells and whistles about it, no big announcements or press release around that. Uh, they just took it out. So the only way that patients can get medical cannabis is through Category B, which is this long, slow, involved process. And all the while, the patients still are being arrested. This costs them lots of money because the imported products are very expensive. So if you get the product, you probably can't afford it anyway. And the government, interestingly, counts those applications for people that actually never went on to fill their script because of the cost. They still count that in the stats as people having access. Um, by then, the patient's probably dead, and this has happened to many patients. Um, and we call this patient access. So doctors are always saying there's not enough evidence. Well, in 2017, the USA National Science Academy did a review of the reviews. And this was a massive task um, done by very prestigious setter, um, many, many um, professors and highly esteemed researchers involved in this review. And these were the facts that they came up with. And importantly there, they said that there was conclusive or substantial evidence that cannabis or cannabinoids are effective for the treatment of chronic pain in adults. And given that 90% of cannabis users who use it medically are using it for pain, that is really significant. But our government did a review of the review of the reviews, and they decided that actually, no, that wasn't as glowing as that sounds. Like, seriously? Is this set up to fail or what? Okay, so 
Statistical realities are conveniently ignored. We've had no deaths from cannabis. It's not physically possible to die from cannabis. Yet the deaths from opiates is on the rise all the time. They don't worry about that too much though, do they? So here we are in 2018 and we really need your help. And this is what I say to you as nurses, as members of a really huge, important and powerful union, you can help us. All we wanted was medical cannabis that was legal, accessible and affordable and an industry that prov could provide it. What we ended up with is a whole set of problems. We've got not enough patients able to get it. Um, around, you know, at about this time there is, they think, around a thousand. Um, very difficult to get the stats, but as I said, those stats include people that are repeat prescriptions or people that didn't actually get their prescription filled. So around a thousand in two and a half years. Um, the TGA is hell-bent on um, regulating it like other medicines, which clearly isn't working, but they don't want to know about it. And hundreds of thousands of genuinely sick Australians are still buying their medicine on the black market. So they're putting their loved ones um, and themselves at risk of you know, contamination with heavy metals, pesticides, all sorts of contaminants, not actually knowing what's in their product. Um, Good thing cannabis is so forgiving and a lot of them are still getting really great results. We did get an industry, yay! Um, but just to rub a bit of salt into the wound, um, not too long ago our Federal Health Minister announced that he was going to open up to cannabis exports. So he wants Australia to be a global leader in cannabis exports. So we won't worry about our patients getting it, um, but we're going to import this stuff all over the world and make lots of money. Thanks, Greg Hunt. Good on you. Okay, so even if you look at the media around today's event, um, this came out of the paper for Newcastle Herald yesterday. Um, and I think, I don't know if Rita mentioned that New South Wales Health were invited to this um, to give their side of um, the equation, um, but and they did accept, and then they withdrew and didn't want to provide anybody else. Um, so um, a spokesperson for the Federal Department of Health said there was a significant need for larger, high-quality studies of medical cannabis. This was, better needed, this was needed to better explore the potential benefits, limitations and safety issues across a range of health conditions and symptoms. Further research may also compare medical cannabis with standard medication options. Oh, really? You know, just listen to the patients. Now, in contrast, um, I went to a very interesting day and I can't remember the exact result. And I think, Rita, you were there, weren't you, when they had the, the New South Wales government invited the overseas delegates to Sydney. And this was before we'd actually decided, or well, we'd, we'd decided what we were doing, but we hadn't in initiated the regulation yet. Um, and so they brought um, delegates from Canada, from Israel, from Germany and from the Netherlands. And I was, you know, because I'm a member of the um, New South Wales Medical Cannabis Centre uh, Research and Innovation, the only thing innovation, innovative about it is the name, I can tell you. Um, so I'm on that board, so I got an invite, which was good. Um, and at that time, the New South Wales um, chief scientist was a lady called Mary O'Kane, who actually was very supportive, um, but she's no longer there. 
Um, so she arranged this day and it was very, very interesting. Um, each of these countries presented how their country did it. Um, we had a representative, uh, the head of the TGA here, uh, Mr John Skerritt, who presented how Australia was going to do it. And then they had a panel. And um, one of the questions from somebody in the audience was to each of the, each of the countries, what are you going to take back to your country that we're doing in Australia that you can add value to how your country is in initiating medical cannabis? Dead silence. Not, you could hear a pin drop, stony silence that went on for ages and ages and ages and got more and more embarrassing until John Skerritt peeled, pulled out a $50 note from his pocket and said, anybody, $50, anybody? Um, you know, and, and I just thought, don't you get it? You are setting this up to fail, don't you get it? But if the intention is to set it up to fail, of course he got it. So the Israelis, we don't know everything about this plant, members of the delegation said, but we do know more than anyone else. It is too safe not to use and we feel it's immoral to prevent access to something that obviously works so well. Amen, thank you. Um, there are people with human, you know, with human feelings that are in um, government and you know, I've got to applaud the Israelis for that. This is also interesting. So Louis Lasagne, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Do you know Justin? Lasagna. Lasagna. Oh, I didn't want to say that. It sounded like <laughs> Italian food. Um, so a clinical pharmacologist and the author of the revised Hippocratic Oath. Um, I'm not going to read that out, but just read it to yourselves. And you know, we do need to start to change the way we think about evidence. You know, in Australia, we're saying, oh, there's not enough evidence. We need more randomised, double-blind controlled trials, you know. Um, that's the only evidence that we're going to accept. What a load of rubbish, you know. Um, look at your patients. Care for your patients. They're doing it anyway. Um, Personalised medicine is what, you know, should be the way of the future. So I think that's really significant and that's what the kind of attitude that we're trying to, um, to encourage. So where to from here? What a bloody question, hey? Okay, so I have had industry say to me, Lucy, it's great what you do. We don't have to do any advocacy. Um, we're just getting ready to make our millions. And that kind of makes me a little bit upset because no patient access means there is going to be no cannabis industry unless, you know, if you're talking about Australian patients in the context of supplying Australian patients. So it's time now to ask the industry for support and that's what I'm going to be doing. There's a big conference in Sydney in a week or so for industry and I'm going to be asking them to put up because I've been doing this, you know, largely on my own but with support of a few weary fighters who do this um, for nothing and you know we try and put on events and educate and it costs a lot of money and it's time that people got involved and started to help us because you know I started out just to help my son and I didn't realize I thought it was a jog around the block I didn't realize I was signing on for a marathon and mate I can't run to save myself so I need some support 
other organisations can help too. So the Nurses Association, yay, the Nurses Federation, Country Women's Association. Country Women's Association came on board really quickly and endorsed this as policy. So next week I'm going back to them to say, hey guys, thanks for the support, but you need to get those scones in the oven because, you know, we've all been hoodwinked by what's um, going on. So what we are working for as United in Compassion is to promote open label studies. Forget these RCTs, yeah, do them, that's great, but not at the expense of people who need medical cannabis now. I mean, RCTs take a bloody long time, they cost a lot of money. And just to give you some insight, and again, I said I'm angry, so um, all the secrets are coming out now. Uh, last year, a fellow contacted me and he said, Lucy, you, don't know, you might not remember me, but I was always in those meetings that you had with the New South Wales government. You see, because I didn't get on very well with Gillian Skinner after she said that shitty thing about lung cancer to Dan, um, Mike Baird knew to keep her away from me. So when I would go to these meetings, Gillian Skinner was never there, but this guy would come in on her behalf. And I could always remember him in the background of the meetings, just with his arms folded, going, you know, a little wink, little thumbs up. And I never spoke to him, but anyway, he contacted me and he said, Look, Lucy, I've left politics now and I want to help you. He said, you need to know what went on behind closed doors. Because I could never work out. Mike Baird's saying to me, yes, Lucy, we're going to make this happen for Dan and this is really important to me and we're pulling out all the stops. And nothing much was happening. So it didn't make sense, but suddenly the penny dropped. And he said, after Mike Baird came to the party room and said, I want to introduce medical cannabis in New South Wales, when, when they all got up off the floor, this is back in 2014, um, he said, no, I'm going to do this. This is about compassion for people with terminal illness. We have to do this. We have to hurry up, blah, 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 blah. I'm the boss. That's how it's going to be. He left the room. And our dear health minister at the time, Gillian Skinner, uh, along with Prue Goward, who's the minister for medical research, um, looked at each other and said, over our dead bodies. And they then approached the chief medical officer and said, how can we stop this? Easy. We wrap it up in clinical trials. We insist on evidence and we can drag this on for years. And that's exactly what's happened. So, you know, we have initiated clinical trials on chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, for God's sake. That's been proven, you know. <laughs> Why are, we, why are we reinventing the wheel? Some of the patients in some of the trials with, with terminal illness have to, they have to be cannabis naive, they have to go into hospital for the trial, they have to not be allowed to have any other food, they have to have blood taken six times a day. Who on earth would sign up for that? Um, but, you know, it helps if the aim is to drag it on for years. So we feel a more compassionate approach is um, personalised medicine, uh, precision medicine, which is the, the medicine of the future. Um, treat people like humans, look after them in the here and now. If they're doing it anyway, make them safe. Give them products that are safe, give them medical supervision. That's what we're fighting for. And the best person to obviously oversee that is the GP. Um, and GPs are specialists in life, right? Um, it's not the specialist that you might see once a year um, who's going to guide you on your 
chronic care journey using cannabis, which needs to be tweaked regularly. Anyway, that's what we stand for and that's what I hope the Nurses Association will get on board and encourage us and help us to fight for that. Okay, um, there was a quick mention of the Australian Medicinal Cannabis Alliance. So back in February, um, literally I was snowed under and I put out the feelers and I said to people who I knew were like-minded, we need, we need some help. Um, we need to get together to sort out patient access. And we outgrew a venue a few times, a bit like today. It went from a little meeting of a few to a bigger meeting of and it just kept growing. And from that, we put out um, some recommendations, which I will, um, bit hard to read there, I apologise for that. Um, but I will make that available to the Nurses Association and they might, you know, and, and this was something that we did as a group and we ranked um, the things that we felt were important. Um, and we ranked them all in order. And so that document, hopefully we can make available for you. There's elections coming. Okay, so in New South Wales, um, Mike Baird's gone. Um, the current health minister has been to Israel. He, um, he did actually go at Mike Baird's suggestion, which was helpful, but he still doesn't get it. Um, Labor say they get it. Well, let's test them and let's make sure they get it before the next election. Um, federal Labor announced in the Senate a couple of days ago, something that sounded exactly like what the current government's doing. Um, yet Bill Shorten had met people like little Abby Dell and told his mother, when I get into government, you know, I will fix this within the first 100 days. So we need to start to think about the politics of it ahead of the New South Wales and the federal election. Um, we need to push back against this attitude um, which is now endemic in, in all the advisory councils. Um, I think I'm the only one that says, no, stop, and there's one other person over there who says, no. Um, but the advisory councils have basically been filled up with people who have had their research careers in studying the harms of cannabis and who follow that mantra. And you know, you've got to wonder if that's not um, on purpose. But every time we do something positive in the media, we can be sure that there'll be something equally negative that will follow very quickly. Um, even to the point of um, misinformation and mistruths. So we need to keep fighting. We need to keep changing the way things are done. And we need to make politicians accountable when they stand up and they say that we've slashed the red tape. You know, the, the TGA will still say, oh yes, but the process only takes, it can take as little as a couple of hours or, you know, only up to a couple of days. Well, I'm sorry, but I get to get the calls from patients who've been trying for months and months and months. Um, and then that, that can't afford the product once they get it. So. Um, I think they've worked it to the point where they can say, but we, what, what, do you, what more do you want? We've, we've legalised it, we've put in a scheme. It's not our fault if the doctors won't prescribe it. Well, they've made it so hard for the doctors. Any wonder why the doctors won't prescribe it? So, you know, can you see a bit of a pattern happening here? Okay, so very importantly, the RACGP, we, we stroked and moulded and caressed and um, we changed the view, at least of the outgoing president. 
Unfortunately, he's the outgoing president, Bastian Seidel. Bastian Seidel was very anti, um, but he got involved and he listened and he understood that GPs are supposed to reflect the needs of their patients. And he eventually came around and he's become quite a strong advocate. Um, and he recognises that GPs are the right people to, um, to oversee this. So I haven't met the new um, president of the RACGP, but that's something for the future. And that's something where um, support from the Nurses Association can be very positive um, in trying to get continued support from the RACGP. I'm not going to read all that out, but it was pretty amazing what he said. Okay, so um, education uh, is still something that we do. Um, if you're interested in this, um, the 2019 Medicinal Cannabis Symposium will be in Tweed Heads from the 22nd to the 24th of March. Great place to come for a few days. To get, you'll, you'll be able to get some CPD points. And again, I've been able to find the cream of the crop from around the world. Um, some really incredible people um, will be coming from Israel, from the States, um, to talk on medical cannabis. So I've got a very senior um, oncologist, Donald Abrams from the USA. He was part of that National Science Academy review team. He said a few years ago, there is barely a palliative care patient for whom I wouldn't recommend medical cannabis. And I read that at the time when Dan was dying and that really stuck with me. So he's coming, Ethan Russo, who's kind of pretty amazing, um, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Hergenrather, Dede Mary is coming from Israel. Now Dede I had over a few years ago and I met him in Israel and he was quite a skeptic, but he'd been given this massive amount of money to, stu to study cannabis and cancer. And I had lunch with him and he said, oh, well, I've got all this money, so <laughs> what the heck, I'll study cannabis and cancer. And I got him back um, and he, was, he blew us away with the things that they are finding about the, the cancer-fighting properties of cannabis. Why aren't we jumping at this, you know? Um, I had a cancer on my head, on my face, which the doctor wanted to cut off. It was biopsied, yeah, it's got to come off, blah, blah, blah. Dan said to me, mum, you're a cannabis advocate, put my cannabis oil on it. And it went. And the doctor still wanted to cut it off, but he couldn't find it. And I thought, why wouldn't you be saying to me, wow, fantastic, you know, let's look at this. But that's it. Oh, Lucy, you'll have to have it cut off. I can't find it, but you have to have it cut off. It'll come back. Seriously. Um, the Australian Medicinal Cannabis course was written by Dr. Um, David Caldicott, who you have seen in the first half of the film. Amazing, amazing person who gives his time freely. He's written this education program for us, for Australian doctors. We'll run that, uh, for doctors and nurses. We'll run that the day before the symposium. And I've put there a photo of someone that you might recognise. Um, Olivia Newton-John, um, as you probably know, is battling stage four breast cancer. Olivia is married to Amazon John, who's a plant scientist, who's pretty amazing, and he grows cannabis for her, and he works with Dede Mary on developing strains for her. And Olivia is a patron of United in Compassion, and Olivia and John are saying, how can we help? So hopefully, health willing, Olivia will be there. Um, and her husband is an amazing, he's accepted, and he's an amazing speaker as well. So. This is a small world we're living in, in cannabis, and there are all these connections between the countries, so let's get connected with Israel nurses and American nurses and build something really strong and beautiful that can unite the world. 
Are you up for the fight? I hope you are.